0: The reading for today is from Exodus, chapter 14, verses 21 to 25, also John five twenty-four. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This is the word of God. You may be seated.
1: All right, thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. Morning redemption. That was probably the best all of life interview we've ever had here. By the way, I'm sure it was her pleasure. Um, so the frog is still here, so I guess this is just going to be the mascot for the rest of the um, Exodus series. Anyway, uh, uh, some of you now, are you've, you've thought that this was true, and now you know that for a fact it's true. One of my idols is hockey, and I guess that's true. Um, uh, what, what you don't probably know, I'm rambling now, I know that's okay, but it'll, it'll go somewhere eventually. Um, Is that when jackie and i first started dating there were two things that i actually did with some purpose Uh, godfather one and two had had been out on videotape but godfather three hadn't been made yet but one sunday after church I prepared a couple of meals and made her watch both one and two. So that was like almost seven hours of Godfather. And if she didn't like that, that was going to be a problem for me. And then um, I took her to her first NHL hockey game. It was the Chicago Blackhawks. And of course, if she didn't like it, but she loved it. And so that's when I proposed to her. So essentially, um, all that was good. Uh, I'm glad she was able to get up here and talk about the fact that she works at North Phoenix Baptist Church. It's a great church. It's a church that's close to my heart because that's where God saved me. Um, and uh, they, they have a wonderful pastor now that she works with. She's on the lead team with him, Noe Garcia. And uh, it's just, it's a really good thing. She's actually been a part of that church either as an attender uh, and member or as an employee for the last 46 years. So that's a pretty good uh, legacy. So I'm glad that um, she was able to get up and talk a little bit about uh, her ministry over there. Uh, one other thing I want to mention. Uh, Allison, did we did we mention the uh, Phoenix, the the, uh, women's luncheon? Did we? No. Okay. There's a women's brunch lunch coming up. Do we have a slide for that? Okay. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is a pretty slide. Look at that. It's very pretty. Anyway, Sunday, October 13th, after the second service, um, we use some I know this is the first service, but we could use some uh, people to help turn the room after the second service. So if you happen to attend the second service on that day, we'd love your help to be able to turn it because we need to put rounders out here and get food ready and all that stuff. So uh, that's one. And then the second announcement is backstories is this Thursday night with Chris Amaro and Josue Lopez from uh, Redemption West Mesa. I had my little uh, pre-meeting with them uh, this past week on Thursday, and I know I say this every single time, but... I just, as I dig in with these guys and hear some of their stories, it's going to be a great night. It's going to be a special night, and I would love for you to be able to hear some of their stories. So that's uh, this coming Thursday night in this room at 6.30, from 6.30 till uh, 7.45. Uh, um, anything else? I guess uh, we can jump into this. Let me pray, and we'll get into the actual Exodus today, ver- uh, chapters 13 and 14. Uh, Lord God, it's our desire that... Uh, Wherever we are in our walk of faith, whatever our faith is in, it's our desire today that, that you would make yourself known and make yourself real to us. Whatever that means uh, for wherever we are in our context, as Jackie said, meet us where we are today, but don't just leave us there, take us somewhere. Help us to do that today as we listen to your word. Uh, and God, as always, I pray that um, although I'm your vessel, that you would move me out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to do His good work of applying the Word of God to the hearts and the minds of the people. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are just about halfway through our survey of the book of Exodus, which some people would refer to as the Gospel of the Old Testament. And, and last week we talked about the Passover, and it's so important. And we dug into that. And today we have, like I said, the actual physical Exodus uh, but first, before we get into the Exodus, we have more instructions about commemoration. So um, I'm not going to read all the verses, but I'm going to read a lot of the verses today. So be prepared. Starting in verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Consecrate means to set apart, uh, to prepare them for special service. Uh, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand. And this this uh, sort of mantra, by a strong hand, becomes very clear as, as a big part of the story going forward. By a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten today. In the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and if it was Arcadia, the Termites as well, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. So, uh, ranching and horticulture. Uh, that, that would be what that represents. You shall keep this service in this month. This service is seven days. You shall eat Unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You've got to purge it all for seven days. And you shall tell your son on that day, because he's going to ask, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And I shall, shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. We're going to talk about this. That the, Lord, the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as it is appointed, at its appointed time from year to year. Every year this is supposed to happen. So this feast, this festival that we talked a little bit last week, this festival or feast of the leavened bread, uh, unleavened bread, is supposed to be held every year, no matter what. And it is still held today, 3,500 years later. And it's for the remembrance and the commemoration of what the Lord did in bringing His people out of Egypt. And we talked about the fact that it was for remembrance and commemoration last week. But what we now get is that we get a little bit more information to see that this is also now a ceremony of faithfulness. This is what faithful people do for their Lord to worship and praise and point everybody toward the Lord God. And it's because God was faithful to save the Israelites, they are now called to be faithful to him by honoring him. And and an important way to do that is to keep his festival. An important way to honor God is to, is to corporately worship Him. An important way to, to be faithful to God is to, if you're a Christ follower, come and, and, and partake in the Lord's table. To sing when we have praise songs. To gather with other believers. Not just other believers, of course. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We, we need to be a testimony of the, of the gospel. But, but we are also to gather with other believers and, and talk about, the faith that God has for us and how that encourages our faith in Him. And, and verses 3 and 9, again, just you, you heard me read it. I want to say it again, twice. It says, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. It's the Lord. And verse 9 tells us this festival, this feast, is to be a sign on your hand, a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be on your mouth. That's another way of saying that God's word would be, would be so much a part of who you are that it's always right there, that it's ready to be spoken. So this is what, what verse 9 is is akin to I'm, I'm gonna use a word here and you can look it up. It's a really cool word. It's akin to a literal, a literal phylactery. A phylactery is a small box containing tiny parchments with verses written on them attached to either the wrist or the forehead of the person uh, and sometimes both the forehead and the wrist and wearing a phylactery reminds the person of God's word and his faithfulness to the people. So here's a, it's a little bit difficult to see. You can look this up on the internet too, but here you go. Here's here's a rabbi with a phylactery right there on his forehead. And then there's some bands here uh, on his arm which indicate there might be a phylactery as well on the inside of his wrist there. Uh, we've seen other pictures, but that's what it is. Um, and, and it's there to remind you of God's faithfulness and to help keep God's word in, in your heart and, and on, your, on your tongue. I, some of you are old enough to remember, like I am, that you know, your mother would tell you to put a rubber band on your wrist or tie a string on your finger so that you remember something. Okay, we don't necessarily do that anymore because now we have, we have notifications on our phone uh, which seems to be a lot more uh, convenient. Um, I will tell you, though, that some Jewish men today, continue today, you see them around, they wear tassels on their garments for the same purpose. It's, it's, their, it's, it's sort of an, another way of having a phylactery. It doesn't have the parchments, but they wear the tassels on their garments for the same purpose of reminding them of the Mosaic law, the covenant with God and his faithfulness. Look at Numbers chapter 15, verse 39, if you want More information on that. And 3,500 years ago, many Jewish people wore phylacteries. So the question, of course, becomes, how do we do this today? What's our phylactery today? How do we remind ourselves today of God, His faithfulness, and His Word? And I will just tell you, this is a little bit of my own cynicism creeping in uh, to the message, but I, I see this all the time. So much of our culture today has become about the signal rather than the reality our culture is really into signaling now. We, we like the wristband, the tattoo, the t-shirt. We like the tweet, the post, or whatever it is, in order to signal our supposed virtue. But it never actually moves us toward Jesus and his word. It never actually moves us toward action. It's just sort of this outward notification to other people. Okay, here it is. I want others to perceive that I'm a good person, even though I'm really not doing anything. I've got this outward dressing, but I have no real genuine inward transformation. You should read what Jesus said. That is called a whitewashed tomb. It looks like, it looks like life on the outside, but death is inside. So the question becomes, what are we, what are we doing that actually moves us towards God's Word? I'd, I'd Frankly, I'd rather ditch the signal and actually be into God's Word if we can do that. And, and I will tell you that one of the great joys of my life as a pastor is when I discover, as I get to know people, that there are actually people like that. They have none of this outward accoutrement. But as I get to know them, I know that they are faithful to God's faithfulness and they are faithful to God's word and they, can, they have God's word right on their tongue. And, and they're faithful in that way. And that is a, that is a beautiful thing when there is an inward reality. And then if you read verses 11 through 16, it's a reiteration of setting apart that firstborn human and animal. And it's again a reminder that it was by God's strong hand that they were delivered from the Egyptians. We just keep hearing that. But then verses 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Because that would have been the quickest way to get to uh, the promised land. Although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God had a purpose for taking them a long way in the most difficult way. Instead, or but, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up and out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth to and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. So God is fulfilling his covenant, and the people are fulfilling their promise of 400 years to Joseph as well. And and think about this. God, God will eventually take them. This is important to understand. God will eventually take them to a land that the people, Israel's family, had occupied some 400 years earlier. In other words, these people who are going out from Egypt do not know this land, but they know this land is part of their legacy and their history, and it's part of what's promised to them. So they don't actually know the land, but they know it's part of who they are. That's an interesting sort of liminal space to be in. And of course, there's the two pillars, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Here's what those, those pillars are doing for the people. It's indicating God's presence and protection. It's a demonstration of God's comfort and hope. Anybody need God's comfort and hope right now? Yeah. I mean, I, not in my notes. We've had a tough week this week. We've, we've had a two-year-old diagnosed with cancer, we've had somebody whose sister passed away. We've, we've lost children. It's, it's been a very tough week. And, and here's the thing. I don't think this week has been any tougher than any other week. It's just, who's it been tough for? It's tough all the time. We need God's comfort and hope. Because sometimes that's all we have. It's, it's, it's Tom saying... You never really know how much you need Jesus until Jesus is really all you have, and that's what God is demonstrating to His people right now. And it's also for their guidance and assurance. But then, verse 18, the Red Sea. Uh, I need to acknowledge that, and even before today, before um, service today, somebody came up and said, "Oh, this whole idea of where the Red Sea is and where they crossed is really interesting because there is a debate." There's been a debate um, more recently the last hundred years about exactly where this took place. Many, many people have an opinion on this. And so, again, I've got a map. I'm, of course, excited about that. Um, But how do I talk about that? I want to make sure you understand. Okay, so I I have been in classes, Bible classes, seminary classes, where the professor tries to explain that the Red Sea is actually something called the Sea of Reeds, which is not a sea at all. Rather, it's sort of this little marsh where, where the water is, is, is sort of like maybe six, six to ten inches high, sort of ankle deep, and that's where they crossed. Because that makes so much more sense than, than a, a real sea actually being divided. And a lot of people... Believe this and teach this, okay? I really struggle with that because as you read through this story, there is absolutely no way you can get the indication that they walked through 10 inches of water. But, but they point to the map and they say, that would be somewhere up in here. That They crossed over here and then they came down. I, I, I like this map because this, this has a better understanding of where they crossed. They either crossed in this large body of water here, or this is actually the Red Sea here. They crossed here. That's, that's a big, big body of water there. But as you, as you get into it and read it, you're going to see that it sounds like they crossed where there was a huge body of water. Just the description of it. And then eventually they make their way down here. And this is where the, the mountain of God, Horeb, Sinai are. And they spend a lot of time, the 40 years, pretty much down in, in here, which we'll be looking at for the rest of... of um, of Exodus. So, I just want to say that we believe here, at least I do, that it wasn't through some swampy reed-filled marsh with ankle-deep water. Uh, What is is so spectacular about walking through a swamp that you would actually build a biblical story around it? That's the first question, right? You go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Why would that even be included? That's no big deal. This is a miraculous event worthy of commemoration. And then in verse 1422, which we'll eventually get to, when we describes that when, when the text describes that the water is a wall on each side of people, I I I gotta tell you, I don't I don't imagine that 10 inches high is a wall, okay? It's just not a wall. All right. Here you go, for some of you, others of you won't have any idea what I'm saying. This is not Jim Carrey parting his tomato soup in the cafe, okay? This is not what this is. Furthermore, furthermore, think about this when we get to the end of chapter 14. Ten inches of water. There is no way to explain how ten inches of water is able to wash over an entire army of Egyptians with 600 chariots and then wash them up onto the shore. Ten inches of water is not going to do that. Well, that was the miracle. Okay, fine. So now you do acknowledge that it was a miracle. See, no matter where you go, just go with the text. The simplest explanation is what the text says. I'm getting worked up. Let's move on. All right. 14, 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Herioth between Migdol and the sea. See, he's very specific about where he wants them to go. It's pretty interesting. In front of Baal-Zephan, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I will get glory, God says, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so they did this. This It's a troubling paragraph, I know. Pharaoh still hasn't let go. and, And God even pushes and... And and exacerbates the situation. He pushes Pharaoh along this self-destructive path. And yet I would say that verse 4 is the key. That's the one I sort of camped on a little bit. Verse 4 is the key here. God only is worthy of glory. And Egypt still needs to know who God is. They still don't get it. Now, we could argue, and I would certainly argue, that as fallen human beings bent towards sin, our two biggest problems are we want glory. We want all the glory. We're really not that interested in giving it to God. Even in ministry, I, I, I run into this myself, you know. Something really good happens in ministry and, and, and somebody comes along and says, Hey, Frank, that was really cool what you did. Oh, gosh, you know, God is good. What am I thinking inwardly? Yeah, I did do a pretty good job. We all struggle with this. God alone gets the glory. And the second thing is that we need to know God. And we need to know him more and more and more and more. And Sunday, by the way, is not enough. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. You need to be doing that every day. In the car, wherever, in the shower, when you're working out, whatever. Just remember, you're far more sinful than you could ever imagine. And yet, you're far more loved than you could ever realize. That's the beauty of the gospel. And remember, as this story got started, when Moses made the simple request that the people be allowed to go three days for worship, Pharaoh dismissively said, who is this Lord that I should obey him? Well, now he's going to know. He's going to know the hard way. Uh, We dismiss God at our own risk. That's one of the lessons that we can get out of this. Okay, so verses four through nine. I'm sorry, five through nine it would be. When the king And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-herioth in front of Baal-Zephon. So 600 chariots that we know of. There might have been more. A chariot, understand, was an ancient version of the armored tank. And 600 of them you read the historians. They say, this is insane. This is a, a, a crazy high number. They, they had One author says they probably had more chariots than all the other nations combined. And, and they were, they, they were, Egypt was easily the, the, the most well-resourced army uh, during this time. So Pharaoh was bringing out the big guns against these unarmed people. Okay? But also consider what we've already been through in this account. Think about what we've already been through the last several weeks. Here you go. Uh, I love storytelling. Um, I love receiving stories. This is like that story that you're reading or you're watching. And you think there's resolution. You think it's the end, finally. You can finally relax. They've, they've caught the person or there's... Res- whatever it is. But, but somebody just keeps poking the bear and the drama continues, the tension remains, and resolution is elusive. I'm sorry to do this to you, but it just reminds me of Michael Corleone in Godfather 3 saying, <laughs> saying just, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. But here's the point. Now, forget about Michael for a minute, okay? That is a picture of life. Have you noticed that? every one of us some of us are here now seeking after god specifically because they want their life to just be easy and tension free that's the only thing they want from god i've been through that too ah now now i know god now i profess faith in jesus he owes it to me to make my life really easy okay that's just not life that is a that is a fantasy We all, even even though we know that cognitively, we just have this idea that someday, everything in our lives will be just so. Organized, complete, tension-free, smooth sailing. Okay, think about this now. Okay, here you go, and I'm just naming a few categories. Work, family, neighborhood, marketplace, friends, politics, coworkers, government, traffic, bills, crime, and the economy. Somehow, all of these, all at once, for an extended period of time, are gonna be perfect. That's what we call fantasy, y'all. Okay? What did Jesus say in John 16, 33? It's the last thing he said to the disciples, and therefore us, before he prays for the disciples and for us. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, when you buy that Promises of God book, you, don't, you can't find that promise of God anywhere in that book. Okay? But that's a promise of God. Because God knows that the world is broken and fallen. Life goes on. God is God. He is sovereign. And our hope is ultimately in Jesus Christ. The beauty of that verse though, if you read on in verse 33 of John 16, is that even though he says, in this world you'll have trouble, he then says, but take heart. Because I have overcome this world. It's it's that bumper sticker that I saw 25 years ago in the parking lot at Grand Canyon University that said, I can tell the future, God wins. That's ultimately what Jesus is saying. Look, I've got this figured out. It's gonna be hard until then, but I've got this figured out. Verses 10 through 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, And they said to Moses, now listen to what they say to Moses. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die out in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Why have you done this? Is is not this what we said to you in Egypt? No, it isn't. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Yeah, that's what they said. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, here you go, here you go. Moses says to the people, we see some transformation of Moses here. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I mean, mean, Look at verses 11 and 12. What do you say to this? The the Israelites are in Egypt, oppressed slaves, and they're crying out. They're begging God for deliverance. And God comes through. And the first sign of even a hint of challenge and suffering, they whine, they blame shift, and they lie. I am so glad in the 21st century none of us respond that way. Wine, blame shift, lying. They have already forgotten what God has done for them and, and, and are now only viewing their circumstances in a way that refuses to acknowledge that God has brought them this far so far. And it's been good. He's worked remarkably. So think about this Exodus account. We're, we're in week 7 of 15. We're in chapter 14. And every single week, in every single chapter, we see ourselves, don't we? And it's, man, it's not our best selves. We often behave the same way that the Israelites did. We often behave the same way the Egyptians did. And that's why we have to understand, again, this book is about God. Moses is the main human character, and it's wonderful. But it's about God working through Moses so that God will be known and God will be trusted for our provision, our protection, and our faithfulness. And then just look again at 13 and 14. I want to reread them. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the, the, uh, the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Sometimes what you and I need, more than anything, is that foolish person, that foolish person of God who is standing up for God and telling you who God is. And that's what Moses does here. He says, you have seen what God has done. You need to trust. You need to have faith. I know it looks bleak right now. We're trapped. I get it. We need that foolish person of God who's going to point us to the cross of Christ and help us understand the sacrifice and the reconciliation. And the restoration that we get from Jesus in that moment. And to know that God is good no matter what, even when we don't think he's very good. And that's what Moses becomes for the Israelites. Even in the midst of all of this ridicule and sarcasm and scorn and unfair criticism, that's who Moses becomes for his people. Moses becomes a leader. This is, those two verses, I think, are transformational. You see Moses truly, he's really just kind of going by the direction of God up until now. But now, there isn't anything in here that indicates that God said, hey, say this to them. He just says it to them. He's growing as a leader. And it's not because of his own power and smarts. Remember, he tried it under his own power and smarts before, and that led to 40 years of exile. He understands whose power this is now. He is becoming a leader through humility and reverence. He's humble and he's pointing toward God. That's what leaders do. And now the spectacular happens. And God seems to have an attitude about it as he does it. The Lord says to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and over his all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when they have gotten glory over when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So so the people are like, What do we do, God? And God says, Well, just have Moses put his hand over the sea and it will part, duh. <laughs> Now, just, Can you imagine being a part of this? It hasn't happened yet, but just think about at some point Moses is going to go like this and this sea is going to part. And, and, not, and not just part. I, I, would, I would imagine that it would part and it would be kind of muddy and icky and my suede shoes would get dirty and I'd be kind of upset about that. They're, they're walking through on dry ground, you understand. Okay. This is the parting of the Red Sea. It's one of the most well-known Bible miracles. And yet again, we have to ask, Why is the escape done this way through a body of water that must be miraculously parted for them? They could have gone the way of the Philistines and avoided all of this. They could have done that. That would have been the easiest route to go. Hear me again. That would have been the easiest route to go. How many of us are just looking for the easiest route? That's our lives, looking for the easy route. Okay. But again, this paragraph tells us over and over It's so that the Lord will be known and so that then he gets the glory. That's why. That's why they had to go this way. So think about this. God leads his people to a place that is clearly bad military strategy. No human general would have gone to this place. No. no. The West Point generals and professors would cringe at this being taught. It just doesn't work, but God will make Himself known. And He's going to do it both to the Israelites and to the Egyptians. Listen to this. God sometimes leads you and I to places where we do not want to go. He leads us to hard places so that we might know who He is. And I know that's challenging in the midst of it when He hasn't yet revealed Himself. But sometimes He does that for us. Verses 19... And 20. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind the Israelites, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So what do you think is happening with the pillar of of cloud moving from in front of the Israelites to behind the Israelites and in front of the Egyptians. What do you think is happening there? It's a little warning. It's a foreshadowing. And it's interesting, the cloud gets so dense that the Egyptians can't see anything through it. This is a little preview for Egypt. They have no idea what's going to happen to them. God stands with his people. And by the way, I just have to I, I imagine if, if you're an Egyptian and you've been rallied for this mission by Pharaoh, you, you have now suffered through 10 plagues. You've seen God work. Think about this. You've been through the 10 plagues. When he starts rallying you to come on this mission, you're probably not all that jazzed to go. And then now this happens. And you're standing there going, okay. I think we might be in trouble here. And they were. Verses 21 through 25. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left the Egyptians pursued them and went in after them into the midst of the sea all of Pharaoh's horses his chariots and his horsemen and watch this and in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down upon the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily the indication there is that the dry ground turned to mud once the Egyptians got there and the Egyptians said let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. <laughs> oh, really? So, one moment the people are completely trapped by the army behind them and a geographical boundary in front of them. And the next moment, God miraculously parts the sea, the geographical boundary, and the people walk through on dry land. It's really interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul calls this a baptism because it's a sign of new life. Baptism symbolizes. Passing from death to life. When you go down into the water, it's supposed to um, uh, sort of retell the story of Jesus going into the tomb and then emerging with new life out of the tomb. This is from grave to resurrection. The Israelites are passing through from grave to resurrection here. That's how Paul interprets this. And verse 25 is amazing. All that's happened, and now, here in the sea, it finally dawns on the people of Egypt. You know, God's probably not to be toyed with, but it's too late. Have you ever thrown good money after bad? Anybody ever done that? I've done that, okay? The Egyptians keep throwing bad money after bad money after bad money after bad money. Spiritually speaking, that's what they're doing. And we don't want to do that. Um, Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through midway through 3. This is what the author of Hebrews writes, and he's got... The Exodus in his mind as he writes this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We have to pay attention to what, what we know of the gospel. What we know of the history of God's people and how he saves his people. We need to know that. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. There's that retributive justice of God how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation what makes us think we're going to be the exception what makes us think that we are the ones who are going to be special we need to understand that again back to chapter 14 and verses 26 through 29 But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. The Egyptians marching into the sea, I think, can be a picture of all human beings who are overcome by their own self-assurance, their own self-righteousness, their own arrogance, their own foolishness, their own inclination towards sin. Marching willingly to hell. Choosing hell. You, you and I would never describe it that way. We'd never say, well, I'm choosing, I'm choosing hell. But that's what we do. When we disregard God and we say, I'm going to go my own way. I've got a better way. I'm smarter than God. I have great wisdom that God does not have. Paul describes that in 1 Corinthians as the foolishness of man. The foolishness of human beings. And again, think about this. God does all of this for the Israelites, and they see it, they experience it, and it was in response to them crying out for help, and yet they're going to grumble on the other side. You realize that, right? They're going to start grumbling when they get to the other side. They've watched all of this, they turn around, and now they're mad. Okay? In the wilderness, they're going to say, we want to go back to slavery. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. They're going to become dogs returning to their own vomit. That they're you and I believing that we've got everything wired, thinking that we know best, choosing not God but our own wisdom, which is actually foolishness. The Israelites after this event could not wait to turn back to their own vomit. They couldn't wait. I, I know that may not be the most appetizing thing to hear on Sunday morning. But but there is encouragement in this. I want you to hear this encouragement. Rejoice that it is that, that in Christ God has chosen you today, just as he has jo- chosen the Israelites. That no matter how often you and I return to our own vomit, God has our back through the cross and the resurrection. No matter how many times we go back to that, God has our back. God is with us. We are in the wilderness of the world right now, right? We are exiles here. But we are God's people, citizens of heaven, waiting for our promised land, the new Jerusalem. I want to read, indulge me here a little bit if I can find it. Psalm 77, it's somewhere in the Psalms, right? There it is, okay, Psalm 77, listen to this. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out from weir- without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Have you ever done that? Have you ever cried out, cried out, cried out, cried out, and you're getting no comfort at all? But you keep crying out. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open, speaking to God now. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. You ever been so hurt that you can't even use words? I consider, all, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has he abandoned me is what the psalmist is saying. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your words and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God. "...who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm redeemed, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph." And now we begin to see that the psalmist has in mind Exodus. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder. All of creation is under the the sovereignty of God. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. There was no evidence that you had done this. And your people walked through on dry land. There were no footprints even of your people. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See, the people of God use the Exodus to remember God's faithfulness and his goodness. It's just absolutely beautiful. But also, this is a picture of a nation under judgment, Egypt. We need to remember that. God is good and because of his goodness and his judgment he has to, and his justice he has to judge Egypt he has to And Pharaoh is the biggest reason for this He's not the only reason many people followed Pharaoh willingly and exciting, excitedly but consider this in our context today Now if I've lost you to reading Psalm 77 for a minute I know my voice can be very mundane I want I want you to stop, look up here I want you to hear this I want you to hear this In 2016, we had a choice between two pharaohs. Do you understand the reality of that? We had a choice between two pharaohs. One uses words of manipulation and antagonism. The other pharaoh throws babies into the river through her championing of abortion, including late-term and partial-birth abortion. Are you getting this? We are a nation of pharaohs. We're pharaoh. That's sad. And I struggle with that. Those of you who have argued that Hillary is more moral than Trump, or you've argued that Trump is more moral than Hillary, you do not understand that we are living in Egypt. You are putting your faith in the Pharaoh class and not in Jesus. Do you hear that? Now, we're going to have presidents and we're going to have Congress and we're going to have government. That's the way it is. But they're going to be filled with sin. And the minute we start putting our faith in them and instead of in Jesus, we're in trouble. I mentioned this a year ago. The single greatest idol that is being worshipped in America today is politics. That's really sad. Trust me, hockey's a much better thing to worship than politics. <laughs> but it's still pretty low. We need to be worshiping Jesus. We need to stop putting our faith in the Pharaoh class. Last two verses. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now listen, listen to this. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So verse 30 says, from the hand, the Lord saved from the hand of the Egyptians, but it was by the Lord's great power. Did you know that the hand and the power, that's the same word. Isn't that interesting? The two powers clashed and it was God who won. And by the way, it says there that the, the, the Israelites were excited and they worshiped and they obeyed God. So yeah, okay, that lasted for about five minutes. We need to remember that going forward, okay? I, I can't help but think what Nick read this morning, John 5:24, where Jesus says, Very truly I, say, I, t- I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So what does that life look like? For Moses, one thing we should notice about this life, and I've already alluded to it, Moses is maturing through this process. Do you see him maturing in this? This is a picture of what our walk with Jesus should look like. There are two kinds of transformation. We need to understand that. The minute you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's a transformation that happens existentially, eternally, All of that, ethereally, where God looks at you and he sees Jesus, and he sees nothing but righteousness. That's it. It's done. It's a done deal. You are saved. That's the already. But there is also a transformation of the not yet. We are also stuck in this sinful, fallen world as exiles, dealing with a broken world, and we are still broken in this world, and so we also experience this incremental transformation. Transformation that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, where he says you are being conformed to the image of God's Son. And that doesn't, that doesn't come to its completion until Jesus comes again. So we are in this constant state of transformation as well. So we are transformed and we are being transformed. This is what Moses is beginning to demonstrate in this story, how our lives will transform as we get closer and closer to Jesus. As we get closer and closer to Jesus, there should be a reducing, a reduction. We should start to enjoy a comfortable smallness. How many of you want to be big and important and impressive and powerful? What God calls us to is a comfortable smallness. Tim Mann, who's our lead pastor at at Gilbert, I love when he talks about how we, we, we need to embrace being small. And it's also a sanctifying, a metamorphosis, a transformation that takes place. And finally, it's an abundance. It's Jesus saying in the Gospel of John, I have come that you will have life and have it abundantly. Because we understand what life in the kingdom of God really is. This is a life rooted not in our circumstances, but in our joy and thanksgiving of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word and its truth. And what an amazing story this is. And as we watch everything from Moses to the people to Pharaoh to the armies to the sea, let all of it point us to who you are that we might know you and know your son Jesus Christ that's our prayer I, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would be working in all of our hearts those who who still don't believe that's that's fine I just pray that the Holy Spirit would would work in those hearts because we can't argue anybody into believing it's only the Spirit that can transform and so we acknowledge that right now so I pray the Spirit would be working but also for those of us who do believe that we would continue to be more and more conformed to the image of your Son. That's our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.